Hey, this is David Perkins, pastor of Radiant Church. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. I hope and I pray that the content helps you grow as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to see you at one of our services on Sundays or maybe at our Bold Conference this summer. Remember this, those who look to Him are radiant. Good morning. I'm gonna have that. I'm gonna have that bumper video every time I go anywhere. Hey, good morning. Great to be here. Can I tell you why I don't like your airport? Can we just address this issue while we're here? There's valid reasons. Last time I was here, there was only two services, and uh, I flew in for my good friend David to hang out. And uh, um, spoke the first service. He says, Banning, a blizzard is coming. We have to rush to the airport. So they canceled the second service. We rushed to the airport where I sat with David for eight hours in that airport, which is normally not a problem except for this. I went through security about eight or nine times because, you know, we're in there kind of like, are we leaving? No, we're not leaving that. Well, let's get something to eat. Well, we got to go out there. And then we'd go out there and then you'd have to come back through security again. It's the worst designed airport in the world. And then I got to go to the bathroom. Well, I got to go outside, go to the bathroom. Then I got to go back through security to get back in. And how many, no joke, we probably went through six or seven times through security over the eight hours of us doing it. So... I, I, I was twitching when I landed there this time, just like, oh, no. Um, but I love the rest of Kansas City and Overland Park and wherever else we're at. It's great to be here. Uh, it is an honor to be here. So encouraged by what God's done in such a short amount of time in this church. And uh, I really do adore and love your pastors. I don't just say that because they're friends or because I have to, but I really genuinely just love your pastors. I think they are world-class pastors and leaders. I am around the world. I mean this. I travel around the world and am with pastors of large churches and small churches, and I, I, I get to see a lot of stuff. And uh, you genuinely have two of the best. Uh, so much so that in my own, I mean, uh, I've had David teach our staff. He's had a massive impact on our staff. Uh, he came out and spoke at our church. Did a fun, I just really impacted our, our church. And uh, um, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I was gone when you came to speak. And then I'm gone and my phone's just blowing up with text messages about how amazing it was. I'm like, all right, he's not that great. Uh, <laughs> and then... And then actually we're launching a school leadership, uh, our first year is this year, just in a couple weeks. And uh, when we sat down and said, who do we want to come teach? David was at the top of the list. He's the first one that's going to be coming to teach at our school. So uh, we just really adore him and grateful for him and glad to be here. If you have your Bibles, get them out. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, uh, let me just uh, say this about your three-year mark coming up. Your three-year mark, I think, is a, is a pretty significant time. If you talk to any church planner, uh, they'll give you a couple of dates that are important kind of turnings of corners, uh, the three-year mark, the five-year mark. But I think three-year for us, we're, we're five years into our church plant. We'll celebrate our five-year anniversary in September. But what's interesting is, is, is that there's a, um, the three-year mark's an interesting time because you finally, like, I think it takes about a year and a half just to even figure out who people are. And then once you kind of figure that out, then people begin to get connected and to start going in the same direction. There's a momentum, I think, that starts kicking in around year three. Did you grow up with those above-ground pools out here? Do you know those? We call them doughboys. I don't know if you call them doughboys, but they're these above-ground pools. And across the street, my friend had one when we were in elementary school. And we'd go over there, and there may be a group of four of us or something. And you know how... 
you, you'll kind of start as a group, just start going around the edges. You just keep, you just keep going and you just keep going. You're, and it's hard at first. and It's kind of like, it's difficult. And there's some, some, you know, some friction and some resistance, but all of a sudden, the more that you keep headed in the same direction with a group of people, all of a sudden that water just kicks in and like momentum kicks in. And we would do that because then after you're done, you could just kind of relax and it would push you along. There's something about the three-year mark that a momentum begins to build because there's a group of people who are (laughs) carrying the same heart, same culture, headed in the same direction. And when you can get a group of people to carry the same heart, the same culture, and all go in the same direction, there it, the momentum just begins to kick in. And I, and I really think that's what's beginning to happen. You'll begin to see that happen even as you head into this next year. There's just some really significant momentum that's hitting the church. And it's, it's incredible what God's done in three years, but it really is just the beginning. First Samuel chapter 1, if you have your Bibles. I, this is what um, I, I believe with all of my heart that God wants to partner with you to see his plans and purposes birthed in the earth, in your church, in your city, and in your life. So God invites us to partner with him, and he wants to birth through you plans and purposes that he has on his heart for your personal life, for your family, for your church, for your city, for your workplace. There are things on the heart of God that he wants to manifest in the earth, and they manifest through us partnering with him. And what I also believe is as a pastor, my heart for people is that they would be fully alive and fully engaged. And I believe that we are fully alive when we're fully engaged. When we are fully engaged in the things of God, in what's on his heart, it is where we are most satisfied and most alive. And so so my, my, my heart for you is that you would be fully engaged with partnering with God to see his plans and purposes manifest in the earth, in your own personal life. There's a personal side and a corporate side to this. So as we jump in today, this is kind of, I want to say that because I believe that God wants to do something through this church. And I believe he wants to do something through your life. But how we get to that is important to understand. First Samuel chapter one, I'm going to set this up. This story is a, is a prophetic story and is a meaningful story in not only what happened, but the picture it paints. Hannah um, is desperate for a child. She wants a son and she is crying out to God for a son, but God's not just going to give her a son. He's going to give her a prophet. He's going he's gonna to give her Samuel. And Samuel's significant because Samuel is the prophet that prepared the way for King David, the Davidic kingdom. So, so and the Davidic kingdom is a type and picture of the Messianic kingdom. So, so Hannah, she wants a son. God's going to give her a prophet. That prophet is going to prepare the way for the Davidic kingdom. Much in our own lives, we're called to give birth to things that prepare the way for the Messianic kingdom, for Jesus to come. So this is that kind of parallel that I want you to see. All right? That's right. It's, it's worse. We all have phones, right? You should answer that, actually. My, my daughter, I kid you not, my daughter FaceTimed me at church the other day <laughs> while I was preaching, and I totally answered it and talked to her for a little bit, made everybody wait. It was amazing. 
Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 12. So Hannah's desperate. She's crying out to God. He's closed her womb. She's got another wife of her husband who's having kids. Her husband's better to her than 10 sons, but she just she's just not satisfied with just a husband that's better than 10 sons. She wants a child. So she gets before the temple, and she's just crying out to God. Nothing can, nothing can make her happy. Nothing can console her. Nothing can get her to be okay until she encounters Eli the priest. And listen to this story, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 12. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered, said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've either, I, I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken till now. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. I believe that God wants to birth something through your life. I really do. I believe he wants to accomplish things through you and in you, in your church, in this city. But anytime God intends to birth something through you, anytime God intends to birth something through a church or, or a group of people, he first speaks a word. And this, this is important to understand because many times we're looking for God to do something and we're missing the word that he's given us. Before God does something, he releases a word. This is what Hannah had. This is the amazing part. Is Hannah, everything changed, not when she got physically pregnant, but when she got a word. Nothing could get her to get up. Nothing could get her to go her way and no longer be sad and eat until she got a word. She hadn't even gotten, she hadn't even received the desire in her heart yet, but she had a word. Eli comes to her and he says, hey, the, the petition you've asked, it's going to be granted. And all of a sudden things shifted because God had just released a word to her and what she needed was a word. She needed a word. And when she got a word, everything changed. And here's why. Because when the Lord releases a word to you, he's trying to get you to a place of faith. Faith is ultimately what's going to see uh, the things that God wants to birth, birth through you. It's when I can step into the realm of faith that the plans and purposes of God begin to be accomplished through my life and around me. But in order to get to that place of faith, it's his word that comes to move us to that place of faith. This is in John chapter 15. John 15 is Jesus in this intimate passage of the vine and abiding and branches. And then he makes a slight shift and he says this in John 15 verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it should be done for you. So asking what you desire and it should be done for you is the realm of faith. I access faith by by drawing close to Jesus in intimacy. And when I do, his word comes and I have to allow it to abide in me. And when his words abide in me, I gain access into the realm called faith to step into seeing all that he wants to see accomplished. Okay, is everybody with me on this? 
So, so whenever the Lord wants to birth something through you, he first speaks a word to you. But the, the, the main thing, and if you're in charismatic circles, you get this a little bit. What, what, I, what I've realized is this. It's one thing to receive a word. It's another thing to carry that word. Jesus isn't just saying that you want it. You got to hear a word. That word's got to abide in you. We're very good at applauding words. We love to get words and we love for prophets to pull us out. And we love when something comes, like we love to get words and applaud words, but it's not enough just to hear a word. I've got to have that word abide in me. I've got to carry that word. Well, I've got three kids, 20 year old and almost 17 year old and 14 year old. And so whenever, um, Whenever you're having kids, you go through the ritual of the pregnancy test. And uh, so the ritual of the pregnancy test is, you know, she, my wife would go down and get like an EPT test at the store and come home. And then, you know, we, she'd be like, I'm going to take a test. We'd go upstairs and she'd pee on this little stick. And then we'd put her on the back of the toilet. And we'd stand in the bathroom and just kind of like make small talk. Hey, how's it going? Good. How was your day? Good. I don't know. What are we going to have for dinner? Okay, da-da-da. And after three minutes, because it takes three minutes for the test to complete, we'd look down and we'd try to see what was there. And if there was one line, life goes on as normal, nothing's different, we go about our day, we go have dinner. But if there's a second line, if there's two lines, my life as I know it will never be the same. Everything in three minutes has changed. Like we physically feel the same, we were just making small talk, but that second line has changed my life forever because it's saying you're pregnant. What we have to understand is when the Lord releases a word to you, it might be, it might be a desire that comes. It might be a, a full-on prophetic word. It might be something he speaks to you in secret. When he releases a word to you, it is a pregnancy test. It's a pregnancy test. It's the Lord saying, you're pregnant. The difference is, in the natural, that baby's coming ready or not. In the spiritual, it doesn't work like that. There are some things the Lord's going to do apart from you and, what, and he'll get, but, but the Lord, he comes and releases a word. And then our responsibility is we've got to carry that word. We've got to allow that word to abide in us. There are many people that have had a word spoken over them that are confused about why it hasn't happened simply because they didn't understand their responsibility was to carry the word. Their responsibility was to step in faith and carry what God has given them until it grows full term and is able to be born. And so many people, they don't need more words. They just need to know what to do with the word they have. Like we're kind of always wanting new words. I'm like, well, you can get a new word and I love that, but maybe just do something with the word you already have. Like God's spoken something to you, so how to do that. So let me just jump into that. I'm only going to give you two points just because I... I can't speak in series, so I'm going to give you two quick points. There's other points we could do, but here's the ones I want to do. If we're, supposed, if we're going to move into a realm of faith to see things birthed in my family, in my finances, in my future, and, and here's the deal. You should know what God's saying about all of those things. If faith is accessed by the word of the Lord that he's spoken to me, then, then I should know. I should be able to go around the room and say, what's God saying about your kids? What's he saying about your future? What's he saying about your finances? What's he saying about this church? What's he saying about your city? What's he saying about your workplace? Because as believers, if we're going to usher in the reign of Jesus, then I've got to be able to be carrying the word of the Lord over every area. So, so how does faith, and, and I've got to be able to step into faith in order to see that happen. 
me give you two quick points. You ready? First one is this. Faith manifests in preparation. I, I am blown away at how complex we make things in Christianity. Like Jesus came along and the Pharisees had made 900 and some odd laws that you have to follow. And Jesus came along and said, hey, let me simplify all that. There's really only two. <laughs> like here's all of that. I've simplified down to this. Jesus was consistently making things simple that everybody else was making complex and complicated. We do it in the church all the time. Let me simplify faith real quick. One of the most simple acts, but one of the most profound and powerful acts of faith you can do is prepare. It's just prepare. When the Lord, this is, how do we know that Hannah believed God? How do we know that Hannah believed the word? Because her life looked different after the word than before the word. Before the word, she's sad, she's on her face, she's crying out. She receives a word and her life looked different afterwards. Half the time I can look at people and say, your life doesn't actually look different after the word. I'm not sure you actually believe him. And one of the things that should manifest and look differently is preparation. I should be preparing. This is what, in Hebrews 11, it says this, by faith, Noah prepared an ark. Faith manifested in the life of Noah through the preparation of an ark. How do we know that Noah believed God? Built an ark. So by faith, Noah prepared an ark. So when God comes and speaks to you, if you're going to carry the word of the Lord, one of the ways you carry the word of the Lord is, is you prepare. You begin to act on what he said. And it doesn't, this is, this is the interesting thing is that we believe people more than we believe God. If I was to ask David, David, will you come over to my house on Thursday night? I'd love to have you and Renata over seven o'clock. And David says, yeah, I'd love to come over. I believe David. I trust David. He's a trustworthy guy. He says, yeah, we'll be there seven o'clock on Thursday. So if I ask him on Monday and he's coming over on Thursday, my week manifests faith that David is coming because I'm preparing. So if I'm at the grocery store buying groceries and you ran to me and say, why are you buying groceries? David said he's coming over at seven on Thursday. So I'm getting ready. We begin to clean our house. I don't know if any of you are like this. Sometimes my wife and I, we're just too lazy to clean the house. So we're like, let's invite somebody over. Because if we invite somebody over, we know we'll clean the house. Uh, so, so, you know, I'm over vacuuming and cleaning. They're like, why are you vacuuming? Why are you cleaning? Why are you sitting on the table? Because David told me when I invited him that he's going to come at seven. And I believe him. This is how simple it is. When God speaks a word to you, are you actually preparing for what he said? Faith manifests in preparation. And, and not only that, your preparation communicates something. If uh, in the natural, my most valued possession even, are my kids. And uh, my, I just, you know, obviously they're the things that hold most dear. And so when I was a youth pastor, it was amazing because one of the, one of the great things about being a youth pastor was you had a pl like a, an abundance of babysitters. All these girls wanted to babysit my kids. So, you know, Holly might, one of the girls, Holly might come up to me and say, hey, I love to babysit your kids. I'm going to say, Holly, you know what? Saturday, we got to do a bunch of errands. I would love for you to watch my kids. Can I drop them off at your house? 
And she'd be like, yeah, I'd love it. I love your kids. I totally want to watch your kids. Drop them off at my house. All right, I said, two o'clock, we'll be there. When I come on Saturday at two o'clock, and if I walk in the door and I begin to notice a few things, uh, there's a fire going without any type of guard around it. There's a, there's a sliding glass door that's open to a pool that doesn't have a fence. There's knives laying out on the counter. There's open bottles of chemicals. There's a pit bull. I, like, <laughs> it's dirty. Um, like, when I, I'm not, I'm not going to drop my kids off there. Right? I'm not dropping my kids off there. I'm not dropping my kids off there because Holly did nothing to prepare for my kids to come. And her lack of preparation communicates to me a lack of value for my kids. Because she didn't prepare, she's like, she doesn't value what I value. Guys, we can stand before God all we want and say, God, pour out your spirit, send your anointing, release favor, release finances, release breakthrough. We pray for all of this stuff and then do nothing to prepare for it. And I think God's looking like, do you even believe me? Do you even like value what I value? Like where, where in your life? You should be able to say, where in my life am I building an ark for what he said? Where am I building an ark? This is what he said. And it doesn't have to be big. I don't, when I, I, when I was in my early 20s, I read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, one of the things they do is they say, go through your life and look at roles. Like, oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a son of God, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a pastor, da, da, da. And then you, you, you get those roles and then you kind of determine what you're trying to accomplish and then that's how you begin to set your schedule up. So I did this thing, I lay them all out. But at the bottom of my list on the roles, I put developing world leader. And I sat back, I thought, what am I doing about that? What am I doing about that? And, and I've read a ton of biographies, love biographies. And in all these biographies, uh, business leaders, politicians, preachers, one of the things I noticed was that a lot of them golf. <laughs> and so I'm in my early 20s, and I, I, or my, my mid-20s, and I'm like, I got to get better at golf. So developing world leader, I'm like, get better at golf. And so I kid you not, I went down, I got a membership at a club, got, I got some set of golf clubs. I paid for lessons and I began to golf every single week. And if you were to ask me why, it was because I was preparing that one day I'm going to be on a golf course with world leaders and I just better not look like an idiot. Now, I don't know how much that helped because I still would look like an idiot, but, but it's, a simple, it's a simple act of what is, the, what is the word that the Lord's given you and what are you doing to prepare for it? And I'm not saying, I don't have to, you know, you don't have to go rent a stadium. Like God's told me that I'm going to mobilize the body of Christ to pray. You don't have to go rent a stadium, just fill your living room. Like, gather some people and start a prayer gathering on Friday night with a handful of people. Like, I'm going to impact, uh, you, you know, I'm going to write books that shape whatever. Well, start a blog. Or, like, where is it that you're preparing? Take an English class. Like, what are you doing to prepare for what God has spoken to you? Even our own church. You know our own church. You guys are on this journey of a building, which you're, you're going to get eventually. And, you know, about three years ago, this is two years into our church plant. Three years ago, the Lord just really spoke to my heart. And he just said, you're not ready he said, if I was to bring a building to you tomorrow, you, you're not ready. And so I got up in front of our church and just said, hey, uh, 
I don't have a building to show you or anything, but the Lord said we're to get ready. I don't know when that is or what, but we're, we're gonna start raising money. And we started raising money, but not just raising money. We started getting our own house in order. We started meeting with people and saying, what is it the banks wanna see? And, and what do they wanna look at? And there's certain things that banks are looking for and all that type of stuff. We spent a whole year just getting, because I'm preparing for what the Lord's said he's going to do. Faith manifests, and I would say this, I gotta to get to the second point, but I only have two points and I'm having a hard time getting the second one. <laughs> 2 Kings chapter 4 is a story where Elisha comes to a widow who's crying out for her sons. And he says, well, what do you have? And she goes, I got a jar of oil. So he, he says, here's what I want you to do. Go gather vessels. He tells her what he's going to do. So they do. So listen to this, 2 Kings chapter 4. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her. And she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. She sends her sons to go gather as many vessels as possible, brings them into the house. The oil continued until the last vessel that they had gathered. Now, I don't want to make a law of this, but there's a principle that, I'm, there's a scriptural principle that is this. Your level of preparation determines your level of outpouring. So if, if she would have gathered five more vessels, there would have been five more outpourings. So, so, so the oil continued until her level of preparation ended. Now, I'm, God goes above and beyond us. He goes like, the Lord is so gracious, so I don't want to make a lot of this. But, but what is the Lord saying to this church, and how are you preparing for it? We pray for a harvest all the time, but we don't put the thought process in, well, who are the fathers and mothers that are going to disciple the harvest that comes in? So are we raising up fathers and mothers? Are we moving towards saving money for a building? Are we, like, are we preparing for what God spoke to us, even in small things? Because faith manifests in preparation, and one of the ways I carry the word of the Lord is simply by preparing for it. Hannah got up, was no longer sad, went about her way. What are you doing? I, are you pregnant? I'm not pregnant, but I got a word. <laughs> and that's all I need. Here's the second thing, and I'll go through this one quick. So faith manifests in preparation, and faith manifests in proclamation. This is a big one. Because God wants to partner with you to, see, to fulfill his plans and purposes in your personal life, in your family, in your church. But we don't understand the power that our words have to either partner with the plans and purposes of God or to undermine the plans and purposes of God. We don't really take serious the scripture that the power of life and death is in our tongue. We, we, we don't really take that serious. And so we don't understand that what's coming out of my mouth is either partnering or undermining what God's trying to accomplish. My daughter, who she's 20, and she, we raised her to be confident and secure. And then sometimes I think we went too far because I'm like, okay, that's just cocky. Knock that off. And, uh, and so when she was 15, had her driver's permit for a little bit, we were riding the car, and she had taken a driver's ed class, so she knew everything, and she knew all the rules, and she knew how to drive. And, and she's, I'm in the back seat arguing with her one day, and finally just stopped and said, Ellie, I have been driving for 20 years. You've been driving for three months. And she turns around and goes, Dad, 
I've been driving for four months. <laughs> my bad, my bad, sorry. Really tipped it. But when she went in to get a permit, I wanted her to pass, but just barely. I want to know, like, what's the lowest score you can get and still get a driver? That's what I was praying for. Like, Lord, let her pass, but just barely. I just wanted to knock some of that thing off of her, you know? And so she calls me, Dad, I went, I got, I got, I passed. I said, oh, that's great. What'd you get? 100%. Because I don't want my daughter to be scared when she's driving, but I do want her to understand the immense responsibility she carries when she steps into a vehicle. And that the power that she now possesses that she did not have a moment before. And that I want her to be sober about that. I want her to understand and realize that. In the same way with believers, I just want to say, I wish you were sober and understood the power in your words. That you would understand that part of faith manifesting and part of carrying the word of the Lord and part of allowing things to come is one of the reasons why things aren't manifesting in your life is because your words are more powerful than you think and they are undermining the very things that God's trying to accomplish. This is the story of Zacharias. The story of Zacharias and Elizabeth who gives birth to John the Baptist is the New Testament parallel of Hannah and Samuel. Because Hannah gives birth to Samuel, who, gives, who prepares the way for King David. Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist, who prepares the way for Jesus. So Zacharias and Elizabeth, they're old. They're old. And they, they want a child, but they're old. Uh, 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 Zacharias is at the temple. An angel appears to him. Full-blown angel in the physical from heaven. Appears and says, gives him a word of the Lord. He says, you're going to have a child. You name him John. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the, to the children, the hearts of the children of the fathers. He gives this amazing word. And then all of a sudden, first thing out of, his, out of Zachariah's mouth is unbelief. He says, how can that be? We're old. So the angel turns to him and says, listen, you're going to not talk. You're going to be mute until this happens. Now, we always read that and think that the angel is punishing Zacharias. He's not punishing him. He's helping him. He legitimately is helping him. He's like, listen, I really need John the Baptist to be born, so I need you to stop talking. <laughs> I, I need you to stop talking right now because there is unbelief in your heart and what's in your heart, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. That what's in your heart is coming out of your mouth and so I need you to be on mute until what's in your heart is faith because your words are about to undermine the very thing God is trying to accomplish. And it's really important John the Baptist is born. So he puts him on mute. And he put him on mute because what was in his heart, again, what comes out of your mouth is more powerful than I think you imagine. And what comes out of your heart is connected, what comes out of your mouth is connected to your heart. And what was in the heart of Zacharias was unbelief. And unbelief is not a lack of belief. It's just belief in the wrong thing. So Zacharias is more connected to his circumstances than he was the word of the Lord. Your circumstances don't ignite faith. The word of the Lord ignites faith. Okay, with me on this? So, so he's so connected to the fact that I'm old. And Zacharias is like, these are just facts. Like we justify what comes out of our mouth by going, it's just facts, hashtag facts. Like this is, I'm old, I'm old. 
And so we justify unbelief coming out of our mouth because we just say, well, it's just, I'm old. And he says, listen, you're on mute. One of the best things you can do to walk in faith is stop talking until unbelief is replaced by faith. So, so unbelief is connected to circumstances. Faith is connected to the word of the Lord. Faith is connected to, well, I don't care what I see. I don't care the circumstances around me. I know what the word of the Lord is. And the word of the Lord, I am more connected to the word of the Lord than I am to circumstances. That's where faith is born from. And so he goes on mute until what was in his heart was no longer unbelief, but belief. And if you read the story at the end of nine months, when his mouth opens, it's one of the most powerful prophetic declarations in scripture over his son, John. What, so all of a sudden, so God had to work. And this, this is why you've got to hide his word in your heart. I've got to hide. I've got to get so much word inside of me that there's just no room for unbelief. It's, a, it's the picture of the subway in New York City. Longer story, but I remember getting on a subway in New York City with a guy that lived there for years. And I mean, it was like three in the afternoon. It was like, I'm like, man, this is packed. He goes, this isn't packed at all. He said, every morning I come and the doors open and I turn backwards and I shove my way in and the doors close. And I thought, oh my, but, but this is the picture I want you to see that you've shoved so much of the word in your heart that when your train pulls up to that station, the doors open and unbelief's trying to get in. You're like, I'm sorry, there's no room. There's so much word packed in here that, that there's just no room for that. If you, if you say unbelief's coming out of my mouth, it's because it's in my heart. So what's the solution? I've got to go get connected to the word. This is, uh, the keys can come out. This is, we have uh, Becky who, we have a thing called a Jesus timeout in our culture. And a Jesus timeout came out of Becky, uh, who's a, our youth pastor. She's 30, a phenomenal communicator, great leader. She's been with us 10 years. But when she was younger, I mean, when she was in her early 20s, I could see there was a communication leadership gift on her. So at our conferences, big conferences, I'd have her close prayer. She's so nervous. She didn't grow up in church and so nervous. She'd get up there. She'd come off the stage and I'd say, hey, how'd it go? She goes, I don't think it was that good. I don't think anybody's lives were impacted. I just think it did, just landed bad. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Is that what Jesus is saying? What's Jesus saying? I don't know. And I'd literally be like, well, listen, young lady, you're in a Jesus timeout and you've got five minutes to go over in that corner and find out what he said. <laughs> I legitimately would make her do that. She'd have to go over that corner and she'd stand over there and then she'd come back and she'd come back and I'd be like, what'd he say? He said it was really powerful. Lives were changed. He loves how he communicated. There it is right there. And when you hear that word, you no longer have permission to say anything else. You no longer have permission to say anything else. That's the word of the Lord. And all the time, it is amazing to me. In our culture, we do all the time. I'll still do it to Becky. She's like, I don't want to do a Jesus timeout. Like, yeah. like somebody will come up and be like, hey, well, this is what's happening with my finances. And this is what's going on with that. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's Jesus saying about your finances? I don't know. Well, you have five minutes, young man, to get over in that corner and find out what Jesus is saying about your finances. No, I'm really serious. Like, we've got to stop talking until what's in our heart is belief. And belief is connected to the word of the Lord. It's connected to what he's saying. 
What does scripture say about that? What has God spoken to you about that? Like, I gotta get that in there. And when I can connect to that, then faith is ignited. And when faith is ignited, then I can step into a realm where the plans and purposes of God are birthed through my life into my family, into my finances, into my future, into my church, into my city. This is what he wants to do. The question I would ask you is where in your life are you building arcs, gathering vessels, preparing for what he said? And are you understanding the weight that your words have when it comes to partnering with God? And if there's unbelief in there, that's okay. There's unbelief, there's unbelief in our hearts. Stop talking, connect with the word of the Lord until faith comes so that what comes out of your mouth is faith. Stand up with me. David, I'm gonna have you come up here and just, I wanna just pray over them as you did before, is that all right? But before David does that, can I just take a moment? And if you're in here right now and, and uh, you don't know Jesus, and what I mean by that is you've never put your faith in Christ. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. Uh, friend, I wanna tell you that, that heaven is a real place and hell is a real place. And, and maybe you're here today and you're not confident of where you're gonna spend eternity. Or maybe you've been to church, you've prayed the prayer, but you've kind of walked away from God doing your own thing. I mean, we're all family here. You know what we all have in common in here? Jesus came and found us and forgave us. That's all, that's all why we're in this room together and why we've got a smile on our face. And God's not angry with you. He's not upset with you. He, has a, he longs to connect with you. And if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, you've never put your faith in him, or maybe you have, you've walked away, I wanna make sure that everybody here has a chance to get right with God. If you're in here, and I know everybody's eyes are open, but we're family. If you're in here and if you say, you know what, Banning, I'm not right with God and I want to get right with God. I wanna get right with God today. I wanna to pray with you, but would you just raise your hand? Is there anybody in here that would say, I'm not right with God and I need to get right with God? Just raise your hand. I just wanna make sure that everybody's got an opportunity. Church, will you pray this with me? I don't wanna repeat this, but I'm, I'm gonna pray that God would fill this church with prodigals and he would fill this church with those who don't know Jesus. Will you pray with that with me? Father, we're praying that you would fill this place. God, that you would, you would rename this church in the spirit, Church of the Harvest, and that we would see prodigals come by the hundreds into this place, that we would see the lost come by the thousands into this place. God, that you would stir the hearts of people who desperately need you, and that, they, that, that you would give us the courage to invite those that don't know you, to share our heart with them, to see not only salvations on Sunday morning, but every day of the week in our environment. God, we just say yes to that. We ask in Jesus' name that you would help us, even now, to begin to prepare the things that you've said over our lives and over our church. I ask, Lord, that we would walk in faith. Let faith mark each one of us. We love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.